You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Metro Vancouver's transit labor woes haven't quite ended. The union representing SkyTrain workers is now issuing 72-hour strike notice, even as bus and C-bus workers ratify their new deal. Nadia Stewart is live with the details for us tonight. Nadia, the SkyTrain Workers Union says mediation hasn't helped. Yeah, talks broke down today. Both sides say they want to reach a deal, but so far they have not been able to. And now the union is threatening job action. Just when public transit users thought they were in the clear. Since it's finals week for me, it's going to be very hard, you know. Very bad. The union representing 900 SkyTrain workers issuing a 72-hour strike notice Friday morning. After weeks at the bargaining table and four days of mediation, the union and the company are at an impasse. Still haven't gotten really anywhere. Uh, we haven't come close to where our key issues need to be. And so we decided to uh, serve 72-hour strike notice today. The latest development of another possible transit disruption comes less than 24 hours after bus and C-bus operators and maintenance workers ratified their new deal. One reached at the 11th hour, putting the brakes on a three-day transit shutdown. We're committed to getting a deal, uh, but we serve the 72 hours to let our employer know that our members are serious of getting a fair deal. But a SkyTrain shutdown could have farther reaching impacts. The system is relied upon by thousands of Metro Vancouverites. Any disruption could be disastrous for commuters. It's going to make it a lot harder to get to work next week. Uh, might have to find a bicycle soon or reinsure my car. Okay, that wrecks a lot because I don't have a car, not I have a license, and I have to take a bus to work every day. And if I walk, it's about 45 minutes and that's not possible. It should not be taken because exams are coming. So it can be difficult for students. Then how are we going to get around? It's awful. Uh, that is the million-dollar question, isn't it, Nadia? Um, passengers obviously just went through some bus disruptions. And we're supposed to know more, it sounds like, about job action tomorrow. What are the details there? Yeah, that's right. At 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, we're expecting an update from the union. At that point, they'll lay out what this job action will look like. So we'll hang on for those details, Chris. All right. Thanks very much. Nadia Stewart reporting live for us tonight. Troubling questions about a dramatic police takedown on a transit bus that was caught on video. A man was being arrested allegedly for an indecent act and a struggle ensued. And as Sarah McDonald reports, some passengers wonder why police moved in so quickly without clearing the bus first. The camera starts rolling at the height of the confrontation between a passenger and police on board a Vancouver bus. Watch as passengers scramble to get off board as officers struggle to get control of a situation that quickly spiraled. As he's getting up to start leaving, he lunges for the female passenger and grabs her by her thigh. Then the cops jump him. That's the voice of Edison Vajasic, who captured this footage of Thursday's incident, which police say started with a 32-year-old suspect exposing himself to a female passenger while the wheels were in motion. Vancouver police officers responded to a call to assist transit security 
for a man who was allegedly masturbating on a bus. But it's that response that's raising questions and criticism and concerns over public safety. So why weren't passengers escorted off? Before, officers encountered a violent resistance suspect who allegedly assaulted an officer before making a reach for their firearm, ultimately managing to get a hold of a police baton. I feel that they put some of the passengers in harm's way. The department disputing that, though not revealing if the suspect, who is known to police and of no fixed address, was being tracked by officers before boarding that bus. Maintaining their members followed protocol. This suspect was very aggressive, uh, and before he was able to injure anybody else on that bus, uh, our members and transit security took, took a hold of him. Both the injured officer and that female passenger said to be recovering from the encounter, which left shaken transit riders out in the cold and a suspect in custody, staring down assault charges. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Vancouver police are seeking witnesses to an assault which has left a 46-year-old man in hospital with serious injuries. It happened last Saturday in the West End. Police were called to Thurlow and Davy just before 1 o'clock in the morning for reports of an injured man. Investigators have been unable to interview the victim because of his injuries. Police say following the assault, the suspect walked away north on Thurlow Street with two other people. Anyone with information is asked to call police. The integrated homicide investigation team confirming today that an Abbotsford University student murdered last year was the unintended victim of a shooting tied to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. 19-year-old Jagvir Mali was killed just a block away from an elementary school in broad daylight in November of 2018. Mali, a student at the University of the Fraser Valley, was studying to become a corrections officer. Police say he was a star basketball player and was a role model for many. Now, our investigation to date has not identified Jagvir being involved in any kind of, of criminality. However, we've learned that those, some of those in his life were involved in the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Today, we are appealing to a group of people that we've been trying to reach, who we believe have information, and they've closed the door on us. They're, they're, uh, they're not speaking with our investigators. An extensive neighborhood canvas captured considerable video surveillance from the day of the shooting, including one showing a white Mazda 3 driving in tandem with the blue Acura TL. Investigators say occupants of the Acura set the vehicle on fire before leaving the area in the white Mazda 3. IHIT would like to speak with anyone who has information about either of those vehicles. Some breaking news now involving the appearance of a potentially fatal disease. Vancouver Coastal Health confirms one case of tuberculosis has been identified at Templeton Secondary School. The school district tells Global News a very small number of individuals may be at risk for exposure, and VCH says the vast majority of those who are exposed do not become infected. There is no ongoing risk to students, staff, or the public, but they're releasing the information out of an abundance of caution. And some more breaking news for you now. Dramatic video of Kamloops RCMP trying to corner an alleged car thief. What? 
It happened this morning just outside a Mr. Lube in Kamloops. RCMP came across a vehicle that had been previously reported stolen from Surrey. As officers tried to apprehend the suspect, she tried to get away, the vehicle slamming into several others before she managed to speed off. Amazingly, no one was hurt. Police later found the car abandoned a few blocks away, but the suspect was nowhere to be found. They have released a photo, so anyone with information is asked to contact Kamloops Police, and you can find more information online. The transformation of a piece of North Shore waterfront is in limbo tonight. It involves the land already occupied by Lionsgate Marina. And while there are big plans for a site to grow new businesses and allow existing ones to stay, the developer claims it's caught up in bureaucratic red tape that might spoil the whole thing. Jill Bennett explains. Lionsgate Marina is one of several businesses on the 27-and-a-half-acre site on the North Vancouver District waterfront. The owners of the land, Westbuild Development, applied in 2018 to subdivide into two-acre parcels. On the district website, it says that it'll take four to six weeks. So while it's now being 15 months and we haven't received an answer yet. Forrest says with a less than 1% vacancy rate for industrial space in the area, the plan would open the site to a number of new businesses. He warns if it doesn't happen, existing ones could be lost. Our concern is the District of North Vancouver is not going to approve our subdivision application. And what that's going to impact is the marina itself. It's currently a, not a viable operation. We have millions of dollars to put into it in upgrades to meet the building code. And we can't achieve that without uh, servicing the subdivision. The issue was before council in June. Councillors heard from the district's approving officer who will make the final decision. They also heard opposition to the plan. I've read with care the letter from the Port of Vancouver. The Port of Vancouver opposes the subdivision of trade enabling industrial lands. The primary consideration is the protection of lands of this type for port uses. But other businesses on the site say they are concerned about the future, and if the marina is shut down, they too would have to go. We want to stay here. Uh, we've got, you know, nine employees and some on the North Shore, some from all over. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, we've got a lot of customers that come here and they know us and it's a convenient place for them to bring their boats to. It absolutely doesn't make sense. The logic is, is not there for the district to not approve this application. Westbuild was told Friday there will be a decision next week. In the meantime, they're asking businesses and residents for their support. Jill Bennett, Global News. Back to our transportation network for a moment. There's now a new way to pay for transit in Metro Vancouver. People lined up to be the first to snap up one of these new Compass Minis, which are tiny versions of the Compass card that attach easily to keychains and backpacks. And much like the Compass wristbands, the Mini Fobs are very popular. In fact, they're already appearing on Craigslist. 5,000 adult Compass Minis and 2,500 concession minis are being made available in the initial release. I heard the bracelets went within an hour, and I was working when they did the bracelets, so I missed out on that. I'm not working today, so I feel why not try yeah. be the first for a keychain. You just have the regular compass card right now? Uh, yeah, I have the big one, so I have to take up my wallet each time. So I'd rather have like a small one on my keychain where I can just stop. Right on. So it's yeah. worth the wait. Definitely. <laughs> The Compass Minis can be purchased through TransLink for a $6 refundable deposit, and they can be reloaded online at a Compass vending machine by phone or in person. 
Top economists in the province met in Victoria today to provide guidance to the finance minister ahead of the budget. And while it's pretty good news overall, as Richard Zussman reports, given the economic slowdown expected, there could still be significant struggles ahead. It's a challenge economies are facing across jurisdictions. Potential global economic slowdown already having an impact a lot of places. But according to the Economic Forecast Council that met with Finance Minister Carol James on Friday, the BC economy is still pretty resilient. High projections for GDP growth as well as sustained growth along the future that makes BC the strongest economy in Canada. What was reassuring today was to hear from the Economic Forecast Council once again that they expect British Columbia to lead the way when it comes to our strength and our economy. That being said, there are still some concerns around the economy. First, retail numbers are down. British Columbians are spending less this year compared to last year, and that has economists worried. Also, there's an issue around job losses. B.C. has seen a downturn slightly in employment numbers, which also is a concern for economists. We've seen a big slowdown in retail spending, so there's a lot of indications that things are somewhat softer. And we have a government that, uh, that largely has, to date, seen uh, the taxpayer as the growth uh, plan for the province. The final point the experts make is the long-term plan looks pretty healthy, especially when it comes to capital spending. The B.C. government investing in schools, hospitals, transit and roads, all of that a good sign for down the road, but still very cautious about these global economic uncertainties that are right before us. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The outrage after a chase ends in the death of an innocent hostage later on the news hour. And the backlash against a BC actor for his eight second appearance in the controversial Peloton ad and what he says about it coming up. Right now, though, more shocking stories from downtown Vancouver business owners who say in the last six to 12 months, property crime has become a violent epidemic. Vancouver's mayor admitting tonight it's a concern. Jordan Armstrong has more on what's being done to tackle it and why the reemergence of a dangerous street drug could be fueling the problem. The thieves have taken over and they get in everywhere they can with crowbars, you name it. Including her employee's bedroom, Viviane Roa was startled awake last month at 3 a.m. by a masked bandit shining a flashlight through the skylight. And he pointed at me with, uh, with the light, so it was a terrible situation. Oh, okay. Perhaps they're coming in because there's not much left to steal on the outside of St. Clair Hotel on Richard Street. The handrail is gone. The heritage plaque also looted. We never had to lock our doors. The front door was always open to invite the tourists in. Next door at Blushing Boutique, everyone now has to be buzzed inside. And the sidewalk sale rack is no more because clothing and the mannequin kept vanishing. I've come in and had people undress it in front of me. I chase them away, I turn around, there's another one right behind them trying to do the same thing. It's been unbelievable. Their stories far from isolated. In the last two weeks, Global News has heard from nearly a dozen Vancouver business owners concerned about a surge in crime and violence in the last six months to a year. So what might be fueling the anarchy? Meth is definitely uh, having a resurgence. Meth does cause sort of agitated, um, disorganized and sometimes aggressive behaviors. Uh, so I can't 
relate with that's part of the crime spree, but you have to wonder. Last week, Vancouver police said they hadn't noticed an increase in property crime. But now the mayor and chair of the police board admits it is a problem. Chief Palmer has uh, briefed us that he'll be diverting some resources in order to uh, try to, uh, you know, dampen this down. I'll believe it when I see it. Some of them have called us a ghetto. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. I invite you all to raise your arms to the sky. Thousands gathered tonight in Montreal. 14 beams of light paying tribute to the victims of Canada's worst mass murder 30 years ago today. 14 young women died at Montreal's Ecole Polytechnique at the hands of a gunman who simply wanted to kill feminists. Today, ceremonies across the country paid tribute to them and raised questions about whether enough has changed since then. 30 years ago today, a gunman with a deep hatred for feminists went on a murderous rampage at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. He separated us into two groups, one guy's in one corner and the, guys and the girls in the other corner. 14 young women died, 14 others were injured. Today at 5.10 p.m. Eastern Time, the same time the shooting began, those women were remembered. Marise Leclerc. Anne-Marie Lemay. Each represented by a beam of light here in Montreal and at universities from coast to coast. The lights that shine over Canada today are lit for you and in your names and memory. In Victoria, Canada's Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women was marked by a candlelight memorial in front of the Parliament buildings. Can I give you a scarf? There's a red ribbon here. Earlier in the day, in Vancouver, there was a gathering at the Women's Memorial in Thornton Park. Here, the 14 women killed three decades ago weren't the only victims remembered. It's still an issue. The women are still being murdered. Indigenous women and girls are going missing. Um, the, the change hasn't happened. On the steps of the Vancouver Art Gallery, another monument in the form of over 1,000 pairs of shoes. It is basically a trap. As somebody walks by, you have to ask what's going on. Each pair represents a woman who has died at the hands of a man since the Montreal massacre. We need to bring awareness to the public and make them aware that on average, every six days, a woman in Canada is killed by an intimate partner. But there is also hope. We do see changes in attitudes, and we do see that a lot, of more, a lot more people are becoming aware of the situation. The violence must end. If we talk about it, it will start to end. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And the ongoing issue of violence against women evident in a new safety report from ride-hailing giant Uber. More than 3,000 sexual assaults were reported last year during rides in the U.S. And while some in the taxi industry on this side of the border say it underscores the reason not to have it here, others point out there's a flaw in that logic. Here's Aaron MacArthur. Uber not even rolling yet in B.C. And there are already questions about safety. Who is behind the wheel when you tap that app? The company compiled a mountain of data on rides over the last three years, and it published some troubling numbers. It has sexual violence advocates in B.C. concerned about what happens when ride-hailing finally arrives. Anytime you have a, a small enclosed space, like a car, 
and you have what could potentially be vulnerable people, we will see sexual violence. The company says in 2017 there were just more than 2,900 sex assaults across all of its rides. In 2018, that number jumped to just more than 3,000. Uber, quick to point out, there were more than 2 billion rides over that same period. In a video statement, the company says this is one of the firm's top priorities. We've got to count it. If you, if you don't count it, then you can't confront it. If you don't confront it, you can't end it. There are no data comparing ride-hailing cars to the taxi industry. The passenger transportation branch tasked with dealing with driver complaints, but criminal matters forwarded to the police. We uh, make sure that we have people have uh, criminal record checks. We don't track that specific. We want to make sure that we're doing everything to prevent it. No one from the taxi industry in Vancouver responded to Global's request for information, but in Ontario, where Uber operates alongside taxis, the industry says this is an example of how wary the public needs to be decades of learning hard lessons, what we can do is mitigate risk. And I think that's not what we're seeing when it comes to Uber and Lyft. Uh, we know absolutely that they do happen in taxis and that we know that uh, many women are experiencing sexual violence in taxi cabs. Still no official word on when Uber and Lyft will get the green light to offer people rides. The government still says sometime before Christmas. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The family of a Florida UPS driver is questioning how police handled a chaotic chase through South Florida. The driver was among two innocent people who died in a shootout between police and the suspects. Some of his family were watching as it unfolded on live television. And a warning, parts of the video are disturbing. The wild gun battle played out on a highway near Miami in rush hour traffic. Police chasing two armed men who opened fire from a stolen UPS truck. It was pretty surreal. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. The frightening scene broadcast on live TV set in motion just 30 minutes earlier when police say the men tried to rob a jewelry store on South Florida's glitzy Miracle Mile. The owner had other plans, opening fire on the suspects who shot back, wounding one woman before running off. They hijacked a UPS truck and kidnapped the driver. What followed was a nearly 30-mile chase through northern Miami. Police cars trailing the truck as the suspects dodged traffic, swerving down sidewalks and even breaking through a neighborhood barricade. When police eventually closed in, the suspects unleashed a barrage of bullets. There was exchange fire between law enforcement and the suspects. And unfortunately, uh, the suspects are now deceased, but two additional innocent civilians were also deceased. One of the civilians killed UPS driver Frank Ordonez, a 27-year-old father of two young girls. And this morning, the family of that UPS driver killed in that shootout are now raising questions as to the response that police had when those gunshots rang out on that busy road. Police saying that they had no other option but to return fire when those suspects started to pull the trigger from inside that UPS truck. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, Coral Gables, Florida. Two women who suffered devastating losses from highway tragedies, including the mother of a Humboldt victim, are in Victoria, pushing for changes to the law. They say it's time B.C. fell in line with other provinces and required mandatory training for new commercial truck drivers. Global's Brad McLeod reports. Just the latest example of the devastation semi-truck accidents can cause. This head-on collision east of Revelstoke sent both truck drivers to hospital and closed the Trans-Canada for much of the day. 
Scenes which bring tragic memories barreling back to Patty Fair. In 2017, just kilometers from Friday's crash, her 52-year-old husband, Steve Bobby, was killed in a head-on collision with another semi. Today, she met with the Minister of Transportation to ask... Why is it taking BC so long to implement even just a basic mandatory entry-level training program? BC is the only province west of Quebec that hasn't adopted minimal safety training known as MELT. I'm hopeful. Yeah, time will tell, Ginny. Yeah. By Patty's side, Ginny Hunter. Her stepson, Logan, was killed in the Humboldt bus crash. Just a good kid. She wants Minister Trevena to help her trust the roads again. As it stands, truck drivers just need the appropriate license and a two-day air brake test before hitting the road. When Logan got on that bus that morning, he trusted it. He never thought of, that he wouldn't make it to his game. So why is BC lagging behind? We don't want to adopt what they, the rest of the country has. They may be good for the rest of the country. We want to make sure that ours is the best. The pair says they felt heard by the minister, but say BC still has the bare minimum barriers to commercial driving. I asked for a deadline, a time when melt was going to be rolled out, and I was told in the, in the spring sometime. Again, it's just not enough of a commitment. British Columbia should be leading this. We're hearing, we want to make things happen. The federal government is expected to mandate some sort of training in the new year. Trevena says BC will review those before implementing anything in British Columbia. In the meantime... We have two more critical injuries. Where does this stop? Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. In Health Matters tonight, a Costco Christmas decoration has been recalled because of an injury hazard. The three-pack of snowmen are about 50 centimeters high and made of plush material. Health Canada says the wire inside them can break through the fabric after bending the snowmen repeatedly, potentially causing an injury. 5,000 were sold in Canada from September to November this year. No injuries have been reported so far, but they should be returned to Costco for a refund. It's on screen for all of about five seconds, but the Vancouver actor who was part of a controversial TV ad says it's changed his life and not necessarily for the better. A Peloton? That was Sean Hunter, who's also a teacher. He plays the husband in the commercial for Peloton Bikes, an ad that sparked an uproar on social media. Some critics are blasting the idea of a husband giving his wife an exercise bike for Christmas. Others wondering what the fuss is all about. Regardless, Hunter says some people are forgetting he's an actor playing a part. I started getting messages and people started using harsh words, sexist, misogynist, uh, a symbol of the patriarchy. And I, and I, whoa, this is, these are harsh things that are not associated with my character and not associated with me in any way. I want people to remember the positive elements that happened in the commercial. We're promoting fitness. We're promoting personal health. And that's what I want people to take away from it. Hunter says he also got positive feedback about the ad from his family, his friends, and his acting coach. For its part, Peloton is standing by the ad, saying it's been misinterpreted by some and claiming it's received an outpouring of support from people who like it. All right, how about this? A revolution in wine that'll knock you flat. Why its makers say it's the best bottle yet, right after the forecast. With Christy, who joins us now, and uh, details we heard earlier of that winter weather warning. Christy?
That's right. Just another quick reminder of the regions that are included in this warning. It extends all the way from the Central Coast inland regions over to the Columbia region. It's a very uh, localized swath from, uh, all, well, from west to east across the province. Here are the regions that are included. Central Coast inland, Chilcotin, Caribou, Prince George, Yellowhead, North and West Columbia, McGregor, Bulkley Valley and Lake. So although it's a very uh, localized, meaning very well-defined area, it does include a lot of regions. And these are the highways we're concerned about, in particular Rogers Pass. They had 40 centimeters of snow uh, in the last 36 hours. They were closed earlier today. It's not bad there right now, but we're expecting that 25 with the heaviest overnight, as well as the Yellowhead, Valmont to Jasper. Other parts of the province highways will also see 15 centimeters, but not quite the uh, 25. So it looks like it's really busy on Rogers Pass right now, either a slow go or a lot of people are just trying to get out there before all the snow starts to fall. And we're already starting to see it uh, sort of take over the highway in near Quinnell. That's Highway 97. Uh, this is near 100 Mile House, the Begbie Summit area. So significant snowfall will uh, happen overnight. That's when we're expecting the heaviest. Across the north, we'll see a clearing. Prince George will see a clearing, but not till tomorrow afternoon, whereas these areas will see it throughout much of the day. But again, a lot of these areas further south starting off as snow, but then changing to showers as things warm up. South Coast, it's going to be a soggy one for your Saturday. A lot of kids playing soccer tomorrow. The good news is at least it will be fairly mild with a low of only six degrees. Sunday looks like the bright spot and it looks like that sunshine will last through Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, which will be a nice little break. Another shot of the frost flowers. Keep sending them in. This is really quite spectacular. Rare shots of these frost flowers from Eaglet Lake. Thanks to Amber for that one. Beautiful. Love those shots. Thanks, Amber. And thanks, Christy. A London company is hoping to help the planet by changing the shape of its wine bottle. Garçon Wines is selling their product in a flat bottle made of 100% post-consumer recycled plastic. It's the same volume as a normal bottle, but they say the flat bottle is lighter and it packs together better, making shipping much more environmentally friendly. The best part, they say it fits through a letterbox. We're developing packaging for Greta Thunberg's generation. We're not generating packaging or creating packaging. Uh, for, for an older generation there, I said, because that is the future. You'd need to use a glass bottle 20 times for it to have the same carbon footprint or environmental cost as a recycled PT bottle with about 60% recycled content. All right, Squires here with sports. Yes. 90% of success, some people say, is just showing up. And Adam Gaudet did more than that for the Canucks. Yes, right? sometimes you just got to show up. But when you show up, you got to do something. You yeah. just can't stand there. You can't be a wallflower. Uh, during the preseason, Adam Gaudet did show up. He showed the Can Canucks coaches all he could do, and he got noticed. He started the season here. Didn't play much, though. Was sent to the minors, but when Tyler Mott got hurt, he came back, and he proved to those same coaches all over again that he belongs in Vancouver. And appears that Dunning can get a tip. Here's Gaudet scores! Adam Gaudet's got another! Adam Gaudet is starting to show the potential many felt he possessed after he won the Hobie Baker Trophy for the top U.S. college player just two seasons ago. Gaudet, who is now 23, has been a noticeable contributor lately, setting up plays and scoring goals that highlight his elite skill level. I just feel like I did in college. Um, you know, I feel like the type of player I was there, and it's starting to click for me. And uh, I think that just comes with the... Uh, you know, the confidence and being much more comfortable out there. And 
um, I think that's huge because you know you can't, you can't play to your potential if you're not confident or comfortable. And you know I'm feeling that right now, and I'm just gonna go with it and uh, keep playing my my way. Gaudet has six goals and 13 points in just 19 games, which would pace him around 55 points over a full season. The Canucks are certainly pleased with his development. He's been a key producer for the Canucks' secondary scoring, but he's also been responsible defensively, which also has helped his cause. you got to be a little bit of both at the beginning of your career. You're not always coming in scoring 30 goals and automatically you're an offensive guy. And Some guys find a way to get into the league and then they become good offensive players. We put a guy up in the, in the top of the arena the other night that's a really good example of that. With the Canucks getting healthy bodies back, some players will be heading back down to the minors to make room, but not Gaudet, who was sent down earlier in the year because he didn't have to clear waivers. But now that he's up to 80 games played in his career, he does have to clear waivers, which means he could be claimed by any other team in the league, and there's no way the Canucks will take that gamble. It's definitely something that uh, gives me more of a sense of security here, and um, you know, it's a good feeling. Uh, and, um, you know, now I'm just going to try to stay in the lineup every night. You know, he's still improving, which he's only barely played not even a year in the league. And I fully expect that he is going to be a better player still in another one, two, three years. Well, the Canucks sent Nikolai Goldobin back to the minors today as players are starting to get healthy. Tomorrow, of course, the Canucks have an afternoon game against Buffalo. Michael Furlan has been practicing this week. He has suffered a concussion during a fight against the L.A. Kings Kyle Clifford back on October 30th. You know, I remember in the fight, the, you know, the exact you know, time I got hit. It's tough to see, but I definitely felt it. So, you know, you definitely know the symptoms uh, a lot more when you've been through a couple. And, yeah, it sucks. Um, but, you know, I've said it before, I'm not going to... Until the doc tells me there's a way I can't play anymore, I'll, then I'll stop playing the way I need to play. But until then, I'm just going to keep playing the way I, you know, I know I can play. There's a good Burnaby boy, Michael J. Fox, and his wife at the Rangers game tonight against the Habs. Well, 1-0 Montreal when Brendan Smith ties it. Geeks out Carey Price. But late in the game, the Habs on the rush. Puck turned over to the neutral zone, and Nate Thompson scores what proves to be the winner. One of the things about the Seattle Seahawks as they head to L.A. for a Sunday nighter against the Rams, they are led by two of the most positive people in sports, head coach Pete Carroll and quarterback Russell Wilson. And Wilson says this duo's best quality is they never stress out. That we're similar um, in our approach mentally. I think that we, we definitely share the same uh, you know, rhythms and, and, you know, if you guys were able to kind of just see us and talk, you know, be around us a lot, I think that you really notice that. I think, um, you know, I think for us, you know, especially the, when the game's online, a lot of people tend to t tense up and we relax. I think that's a key point, point for us. Hero World Golf Challenge, third round Bahamas. The host is Tiger Woods. Is he a host with the most? Let's see. This is on 18. Yep, that's about six feet away. Makes the birdie putt. He's at 11 under par. Third place, two off the lead. The lead is held by Gary Woodland, who will be in the President's Cup next week. Tiger's the captain of the American team against the world team, international team. Woodland, great approach also at 18. That led to a birdie. He is 13 under par. The final round is actually tomorrow. There you go.
Nice to see a big event like that in the Bahamas that was torn apart by the hurricane. Good point. Yep. Huge's no report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb picked up one centimeter. Grouse and Cypress a little too warm. Sasquatch will open next Thursday. Manning Park still waiting to find a date. Revelstoke, no new snow, but Fernie has four and Kicking Horse has nine centimeters. Big White, Silver Star and Sun Peaks, no new snow today, but Apex will open tomorrow. Mount Washington also still trying to find a date. Whitewater picked up four centimeters. Red Mountain will open on Thursday and Powder King picked up two. I think You'll we can find. I think it. we should really find Mount Washington a date. And Manning Park. I mean, is Manning doesn't too. have anybody either. Let's set him up. <laughs> That's right. Powder King living up to its rep, though. Uh, okay, let's talk uh, satellite debris. Okay, so again, Great Britain is uh, chock full of Christmas commercials. This is their Super Bowl. I've said it before. This one from ASDA. Here we go. <laughs> Grocery store. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Could you figure that Groceries. out? Yeah. All right. So um, this one, early. There's an early present for you in here. And oh there's my also gosh. Tetley tea. Here we go. Oh. Talking dogs and cats. Oh. Right. Shall I pop the kettle on? Oh yeah. Go on. Nice cup of tea. What a day. It's raining. Oh, what's the phrase? Raining chaps and gals. Obviously. <sighs> it's all right for you. I've got to take a walk in that later. Well, it's your own fault. Mm. She thinks you want to. You're always wagging your tail. Look! It's the tea. It has that effect on me. Our perfect blends will get anyone talking. Tetley, now we're talking. Green burrito is neato. Green burrito packed with meato. Green burrito, good to eat-o. Green 
burrito, smell my feet Green, green, green burrito. Green, green, green burrito. Green burrito. It's good. <laughs> that one gets her every time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I A don't simple know. little animation. The- the budget for that one. Oh, I know. It's just a guy, an acoustic guitar, and some little the, emoji guy. And then the smell my feet Yeah. <laughs> they ran out of rhymes. That's yeah, all they had right. left. It's like, let's just do anything. <laughs> smell my feet I remember that one when I was 12. Go with that. my favorite. Some pretty good, uh, some pretty good Christmas material yeah, in there yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's, uh, maybe we should mention the snowfall warnings again here. A lot of people are going to get hit tonight. Yeah, so the areas we're watching, Caribou, Central Interior, right through the Columbia region. Uh, Highways-wise, we're talking about Highway 1, Rogers Pass, as well as the Yellowhead Highway from Yale, uh, sorry, Valmont to Jasper. Those areas could see 25 centimeters, and the heaviest really will happen overnight and through the morning hours, but still more snow tomorrow. As for our area, it's going to be a little bit of a soaker tomorrow, especially in the morning. It will ease up later in the day, but not till much later. The good news is, soccer players, it's going to be at least warmer for you with that rain. Rugby players, too, on Sunday. Looking forward to getting back on the pitch. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great weekend.